I'll be preaching today from Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. If you would turn there, I'll tell you a little bit about where we are, and we'll read it in a few minutes. If I asked you when your childhood ended, what would you tell me? Would you give me an age or a turning point in your life? Perhaps you'd first ask what I meant by childhood, whether I meant the growth of your mind or learning how to do something or several things on your own or controlling your feelings or emotions. This morning we're going to see how quickly we lose hold of our childhood and how when God saves someone, he or she becomes a child of God. Along the way, we'll look at the heart of Jesus as he interacts with the rich young man and then also with his disciples. We'll see the tenderness of Jesus his love, his rebuke, and his assurance. The big idea today in this sermon is to learn to be a child of God by knowing your need and crying out to God to fill that need. One more time, learn to be a child of God by knowing your need and crying out to God to fulfill it. Starting more than halfway through Mark, let's first get our bearings. Mark is telling us about the gospel of Jesus Christ. To do that, he shows us that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, that he is also the suffering servant of Isaiah that we have been studying about in our Pastor Andy's study through Isaiah, and that he died on the cross and rose again from the grave. At this point that we'll read in the Gospel of Mark, Mark is recounting how Jesus kept patiently telling his disciples that he is the Messiah had to die. Just before this section, verses 13 through 16, Jesus commands the disciples to let the children come to me, and to such belong the kingdom of heaven. And finally, that whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And the section after what we read, Jesus plainly tells them of his coming death for the third time. That puts our section of Mark's gospel as a contrast to what the children are like in the description and a description of who Jesus is, the one we must come to. So we will see how the rich young man shows us how not to be a child and how Jesus begins to show the rich young man and the disciples how he must die and what he's dying for. In contrast, is, the contrast is between the children and the young man, as Mark describes him, probably to make it more clear 
that he is no longer a child. Jesus just finished saying that the kingdom belongs to those who are like children, but this young man is no longer a child and has left behind the childlike qualities Jesus just referred to. The young man is also rich. We're not told whether he worked for his wealth or whether it was an inheritance itself, but not consistent. But in either case, we'll come to the problem of his riches later. As I said, this section contrasts with the children, but also describes Jesus. That description of Jesus is one of a welcoming, patient, wise, loving, yet unbending Savior who has come to save all the children of God. If you'll follow along with me, I'm going to read Mark 10, verses 17 through 31. And as he was setting out on his journey... A man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him, and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to the disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich, young, for, than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished. And said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with, per with persecution, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. In that first section, we look at Jesus' talk with the rich young man. As we go through the passage, we'll see Jesus' Jesus's heart for the rich young man. 
We'll also see how the rich young man fails in his likeness to children. In verse 17, the rich young man approaches Jesus as he is setting out on a journey from beyond the Jordan back to Jerusalem. The rich young man interrupts his journey. Notice that the young man is not brought to Jesus as the children in the last section were brought, but he brings himself and places himself in Jesus' way. We'll see more about this later, but the children who enter the kingdom do not enter by their own power. They are brought to Jesus. If you have not believed in Jesus yet, are you willing to be brought to him without your own power? If you have been saved, are you willing to keep being brought to Jesus and every time you sin, be brought again? It's not like you lose your salvation, but you do need to come for forgiveness. Notice also the heart of Jesus. He patiently stands there while the rich man interrupts his journey. He kneel, the man kneels before him, and Jesus is full of acceptance. He stands there welcoming the rich young man. This is not really a command, but more of a default position for Jesus and what should be for us. Does your spouse, your children, your brother, your sister, co-workers, neighbors, even your enemies know that they can interrupt you? Do they know you would welcome them? We find out later, Jesus has some difficult words for this man, as he had just a few minutes ago with the Pharisees in the same town and those who desire divorce. But yet, this rich young man knows that Jesus' default position is one that will welcome him, even when, the for, even when the truth forces you to speak difficult words, do those hearing you still know that you're loving and welcoming? Will your children know your default welcoming attitude? Are you like the father and the prodigal son, welcoming those who plan to sin or have sinned against you? The young man addresses Jesus as good teacher. We'll come back to this too, but you can at least say that the young man was being respectful. We then hear the rich young man's question. Have you ever asked a question that you later realized was impossible to answer? Something like, how did God create himself? Or, can you make a square and a circle with the same area? Or, what color is a mirror? The rich young man asks such a question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? The child doesn't do anything to inherit from his or her parents. The child just has to be their child. There's nothing a child has to do to inherit anything from 
his or her parents, but the rich young man doesn't understand. He wants to do something to inherit eternal life, something to enter the kingdom of God, but nothing can be done. It's an impossible question. It is not what you do, but who you are that determines your inheritance. Jesus responds by first questioning why the rich man calls him good. Jesus is not denying his own goodness, but questioning whether the young man knows who he is coming to. The children were brought to Jesus because of who he is, but Jesus wants the rich man to stop and think about who he is questioning. Then Jesus tips his hand in two ways. He gives away the answer to the test before he gives the test. First, Jesus tells the young man that he, Jesus, is God. He tells the young man to connect the dots. If he's calling Jesus good, then he's acknowledging that Jesus is God because only God is good. The young man needs to know who he is approaching. And part of the answer is that he's approaching the God-man. Second, Jesus gives away the answer to the question he's about to imply. He's about to imply the question, how do you stack up against the law? Does the law testify to your goodness? Jesus tells him that only God is good. He wants the young man to see himself as not good. Jesus therefore tells him that no one is good except God alone. Jesus then turns the rich man's question from something he can do to bring himself into eternal life into rather a question about how the young man can be brought to Jesus. Jesus uses the law. Specifically, commandments 5 through 9. Jesus leaves commandment 10 about coveting and the first four about the man's relationship with God for later. Jesus seeks to show the young man the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law for the unbeliever is to bring him to Jesus, as Galatians 3.21 and following says. The purpose is to expose sin so the person can see his or her own need and the need for a savior. The young man should be able to see his failure in, his fa in the face of the law. He should know the Psalms that show how the problem, show his problem even before he was born, that no man is without sin. Just the subset of the law that Jesus quotes should be enough for the rich young man to see his failure. But let's not forget that Jesus already forgot or already gave away the right answer. No one is good except God alone. The law should be enough for the rich man to see how insane his question was. He should be saying, oh, I see. No one can ever do anything for an inheritance. Only children can inherit because only children are already children. 
the young man should be realizing, oh, I see, I've broken the law. I'm like a helpless child. There is, only, there is no hope for me. Help me, Jesus. But the rich young man doesn't see. He doesn't hear. He has no eyes to see or ears to hear. The law did not crack his heart of stone. When he does respond, he says, All these I have kept from my youth. Look at the heart of Jesus again. Jesus is kind, a patient evangelist. Jesus does not give up there. Jesus looks at him and loves him. And Jesus' love comes out in the most loving way. Cutting through everything else, Jesus unpacks the rest of the commandments. Jesus tells him that he lacks one thing. What is the one thing that the young man lacks? Is it one of the three things that Jesus lists? Selling all his possessions or giving the proceeds to the poor or following Jesus? No, those are the things that Jesus uses to force the young man into deciding between Jesus and his own possessions. The one thing he lacks is conviction of sin. Jesus shows him that his possessions mean more to him than eternal life, the kingdom of God, or Jesus himself. So in our evangelism, do you use the law like Jesus did? Are you still loving and hospitable and welcoming while patiently and with wisdom pointing people back to the law? If you are not yet saved or are not convinced you are saved, do you know the law, the Ten Commandments at least? Do you keep the law? Do you understand that you are guilty before God, the lawgiver, and that you need a Savior who is Jesus Christ, the God-man, to save you from the guilt of breaking the law? For those who are saved, sometimes this passage is applied to all believers as if Jesus were commanding us all to sell everything we have, give the proceeds to the poor, and then follow him. If that were the command, he would have given it more broadly, and the rest of the Bible would not take so much pain to describe how the rich should behave and use their money. If the command were for everyone, then Jesus wouldn't have started out with, you lack one thing. Jesus was talking only to the rich man. Also, if Jesus were giving the command to everyone, then to apply it to ourselves, we would have to first be able to say with the rich man that we had kept those four commandments that Jesus mentioned. How does... Jesus' instruction confront us then. It should cause us to check our faith. Do we believe that Jesus is God? That Jesus is the only good one who keeps all of the law? That it is therefore all Jesus' inheritance? And that Jesus had to die in order for the inheritance to be distributed to all the children of God? As Hebrews nine sixteen and 17 says, where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established, for a will takes effect only at death, since it is not 
in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Jesus' instruction on the law would cause, should cause us to take inventory of all we have. If Jesus did give us a choice between anything we own and following him, would we freely give it up? Would we give up everything if necessary? This might seem like a remote question, but in our current political atmosphere, does it seem unlikely that our church would lose its tax exemption, or that members of our church would be jailed, or lose their jobs, or maybe even their lives, because of our stand against abortion, or divorce, or against same-sex marriage, or against any sexual activity outside the marriage of one man and one woman? or against purposefully obscuring or changing the God-given genders of male and female. It seems more likely that we'll have to make decisions like this. What would we give up and follow Jesus? Speaking of difficult topics and the cost of discipleship, let's look at Jesus' love shown toward the rich young man. We can learn here how we are to love those who we not only disagree with, but also who continue in unbelief. First, as stated above, the young man knew Jesus could speak difficult, confrontational words, but he also knew that Jesus would likely still welcome him and his questions. So again, do we make it a point to be kind, humble, hospitable, and welcoming in such a way that even those who disagree with us know that we love them? Second, did Jesus, not Jesus did not confuse his message with messages of approval or celebration. The rich young man was not led to think through Jesus' silence or his actions or words that Jesus wanted him to continue on in his current lifestyle. This kind of love that Jesus showed was still set against all the sin in the young man's life. We should follow Jesus here too, able to hold strong convictions without confusion, yet with an abundance of love. Third, Jesus loved the rich man toward the rich man's own best interest. Jesus wanted him to be convicted of sin, to turn to Jesus for eternal life. Jesus wanted what was best for him. And fourth, the rest of the Bible, like Matthew 5 and Romans 12, tells us that we should continue to love those who oppose us or persecute us by praying for them and by continuing to serve them in addition to not swerving from the truth and that their only greatest need is Jesus Christ. But we continue to pray and serve as we hold those convictions. Watching the rich young man walk away, Jesus continues to love him as he turns to his disciples and explains the condition of the young man. 
that there was not only nothing the young man could do, but nothing the young man had that could make it easier for him to enter the kingdom of God. Like the rich man, there is nothing that we can do, nothing that we own or have that would make us more appealing to God for him to save us. Likewise, when you were saved, there was nothing special or important about you that made God want to save you more than anyone else. All of salvation is by God's grace. The disciples are amazed that Jesus confronts them and challenges them at the same time. He starts by comforting them, calling them children. He, confronts, he comforts them by showing them they are not like the rich young man, but they have been convicted of their sin and sought Jesus for answers. They are the children that he was talking about in the last section. They are still far from understanding even Jesus' death, but nevertheless, Jesus comforts them by calling them children, those to whom the kingdom belongs, those who will receive it and those who will enter it. Again, he answers Peter before he even asks the question, they are children who will inherit eternal life. The disciples continue to press Jesus, thinking that the riches were a sign of salvation. Many still think this way today, as Job's friends would have thought so long ago. But Jesus tells them it doesn't matter who the person is, Every person is incapable of their own salvation. The only way to salvation is with God. We should check our own motives. Why do we follow Christ? Is it as Christ tells us that we should follow him for his sake and for the sake of the gospel? And that is the reason that we should leave everything else behind. Why do we live differently? What else are we called to leave for Jesus and the gospel? Jesus then tells the disciples that many things that the believer leaves, like houses, family, land, will be given back to them, but only in a different way. We might ask how that can be. How do we receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands? I would ask first why we gain no fathers. I think that is the reason we gain all the rest. God has adopted us and made himself our father. We are children of God through becoming members of the church. We gain houses, brothers, Sisters, mothers, children, and lands. But with all these comes persecution. In the same way, it is neither what we do nor what we have that makes us acceptable to God. Only God can make us his children, and only then can we inherit eternal life from the giver of all life. We are members of the church, and that should be precious to us. Our attitude in the church should be one with an open hand, holding what we have loosely. If we gain so much from being part of the church, then we must also be willing to give as members of the church. 
giving not only to support the finances of the church, but also giving to each other our time, our money, our houses, our lands, and all else that we hold loosely in this world. We also need to be ready for persecution, the persecution that we talked about before. For Jesus will comfort us and reminds us that in the age to come, there is eternal life. Jesus concludes his short explanation to the disciples by saying, But many who are first will be last, and the last first. On the surface, we can see that this age, in this age, those like the rich young man are the first, and those like the children are last. In this age, the self-sufficient and prideful are first, and those convicted of sin, hoping for the return of their Savior, are last. But Jesus also knows the age to come, where those who are first now will be last, and those convicted of their sin and waiting for their Savior will see Him in the flesh. So, in a sense, our childhood has ended. But in great hope, God made us children again. Children of God for all eternity. And why do we share in that hope? Yes, because we know that we are in need. And that we need that help. Because we are convicted of sin. And because Jesus is our Savior. The rich young man did not keep the law even part of it, and he wasn't able to sell his riches or give the proceeds to the poor. But Jesus is the one who actually did keep the law, even from his youth. And he is not lacking even one thing because he left the riches of heaven to earn the riches of good works and obedience on earth, even obedience until death. And gave all those riches to poor sinners like us who are therefore able to follow him into the kingdom of heaven and the inheritance of eternal life purchased by his death and resurrection. Please bow with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, there is no time that we are without need. There is no time that we should not be before you holding out our hands for you to give yet again. For we need forgiveness, we need strength, we need hope, we need all that is found in your Son, Jesus Christ, even more than we know. And we pray that you would give us that help. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.